Welcome friends to another r slash malicious compliance video. So I was checking my statistics and it turns out that only one of you guys aren't subscribed. So if you don't want to be that one holdout, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below. That said, our first story of the day is by Soul Capsa. You sent me the wrong slate for my pool table and are now required to send the proper size. I recently purchased a pool table from a very well-known online vendor. After a week or so of making the order, my pool table showed up on two pallets. One of the pallets contained the actual table pieces, the legs, sides, frame, pockets, etc. The second pallet contained the three pieces of slate, weighing roughly 650 pounds give or take. A few days after receiving the shipment, the pool table installer showed up to do the install. However, he quickly realized that the company had sent me 8-foot slate for a 7-foot table. A very quick bit of background for those who were not aware, slate is heavy, bulky, extremely fragile, and thus very expensive to ship. I called the company and informed them of their error. They then stated that they would ship the new slate out on Monday. I called on a Friday. After a few minutes on the phone, the customer representative and I did some quick calculations and realized that it would be much more cost effective for the company to simply send me the actual 8-foot pool table rather than have to pay the 8-foot slate shipped back and the new proper size slate shipped to me. Although we originally wanted the 7-foot table, because my fiancé and I play pool at bars and that's the standard bar size, we did have room for an 8-foot table. Because of this, I was fine with them sending me the 8-foot table instead. After all, the price difference between the two sizes was around 100 bucks. We had almost finished finalizing everything when the manager got involved. Cue malicious compliance. Get it? Like a pool cue? The manager got on the phone and informed me that he had no intentions of upgrading the table size for free and that he would send someone to pick up the original slate pallet and drop off the proper size slate. The shipping for the table was free, so the company had paid all original shipping costs, around $1,200. Now they're paying another shipping cost, around $800, to get the original slate back, in addition to another $700 to $800 to ship the new slate. The pool table itself was under $3,000. The company has now spent nearly $2,800 to sell me a roughly $3,000 pool table. To add insult to injury, because I incurred a $200 fee from the original failed install, the company had to also credit me $200. In total, the company's not only lost any kind of profit from the table, but have actually spent more money getting the order right than the original purchase price. By comparison, had the company simply sent me the 8-foot table, it would have cost them another $300 in shipping in total to ship the new table pieces and return shipment of the original table. I now have a beautiful 7-foot slate pool table, and the company's out around $3,000. If you were in OP's shoes and dealing with this company, and they said, no, 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 we're not going to give you a free size upgrade, and you knew that they were going to go blow way more money to ship it back and ship more slate out, would it bother you at all? Would you try and put up a little bit of a fight for it, say, you know, for you guys it's economically viable to just send the parts out? Or would you be more on the side of, eh, it's not my money? Let me know in the comments down below. Our next story is by WolfLuna1115, you must take the test. So in 2018, I started my job as an au pair in Germany. I went to a second host family due to that even though I got along with the first host family, I was let go. Now, when I went to my second host family, there was nothing wrong. 
I got along great with the kids and parents, but then the host mother was demanding more rules. Now normally, when you're an au pair, you need to know the contract agreed with the family. I had at first 5 days work and the weekend free. That was the deal, she changed it and now I only had one day of free time. No worries. So I explained to the host mother that I'm not fluent in German and that I wanted to understand and speak fluent German with my grandma. My dad's side of the family's German. Some thought I learned German from my dad, but I never actually learned it. It was only after I stayed in China, again as an au pair, that I realized I could learn German. To those who were curious, my initial plan was to finish learning Mandarin Chinese and then go to Germany to learn German. But sadly, while I was in China, my older brother passed away. So I moved back home in Switzerland, stayed a few months, and then moved to Germany to learn German. Anyway, back to the story. The host mother just nodded her head and said, Okay, well, you must take a test to see how far your German is. At first I thought she was joking, but she was dead serious. I told her again that I'm not fluent in German and that I'm a beginner. She just smiled and said, Sure, okay and initially pointed out that my family's in Germany, so I understand German. I told her again, and I thought she understood. I say to myself, okay, great, she understands. I was wrong. The host mother and I went to a school or a place where people can do classes for learning hobbies, etc. I thought, great, I'll sign up for the beginner class. The host mother talked to a lady, and I was led into a room without anyone, and she placed papers. The lady explained in German, and I tried to understand, but I couldn't. And I realized that the host mother either didn't understand or lied to the lady that I'm fluent in German. I was lost and worried. I thought I should tell the lady right away. Only then, I had a light bulb light up and I smile. Remember when the host mother said, I must take the test? I decided to do it, since she did wanted to see if I'm fluent. I read what's written, and I put answers that could be wrong. There were answers where I had to circle the A, B, C, D. So I first put the A and then the B. You get the idea. And then it said something that I should write something. So I wrote in German and put a word that said in German, I don't speak German. And I decided to add gibberish answers as well. When it was done, I smiled widely from the inside. And I waited. The lady came back. I understood a bit that she asked if everything was okay. With a smile, I said, yeah. The lady picked up the paper and was about to leave but stopped. She read the answers I wrote down. She turned around and asked me in English, you don't understand German? I told her no and explained that I'm only a beginner in German. The lady smiled at me, but I could tell that she was annoyed. So she and I went to the host mother. And I tell you, the moment she talked to the mother, she was embarrassed and had a wide-eyed expression. She looked at me and said, why didn't you say anything? I just look at her and said, you wanted me to take a test, so I did. I did manage to learn German. I left the host family after six months due that I couldn't get along anymore with the host mother. I lived with my grandmother for a year in Germany and I finally understood German. I'm gonna be honest, I don't know if I'm just like uncultured, but I didn't know what an au pair was. It's like a person from a foreign country who moves in with a host family and helps take care of kids or chores may want to experience the country or just pick some stuff up like they wanted to learn German. I don't know if there was like a miscommunication going on here or if the lady really just assumed OP was lying for some reason, but I don't blame OP for going through with it and just kind of proving, hey, I'm not lying. I don't know why you decided to die on that hill. Our next story is by Knights N2. You're not an operator. Okay, boss. I got it. Players, me, 36-year-old male, about 26 at the time, boss A and B, 
my direct bosses where I worked, and the plan manager. So I was next in line to run my own line when my operator, line lead, quit. Why do we call that person an operator and not a lead, you ask? I was later told it was purely to help make them feel inferior and work for less pay. The job actually entailed running your own line and crew of four or five people who would directly report to you. I figured as soon as my operator said he was leaving, that I would be asked to replace him. I also knew the last person or two who took this promotion and did so without a raise for the first year or two. So when they came to me and asked me about filling the spot and training my own brand new crew, I said yes. I also told boss A and B at the same time I would gladly do so for three months as a trial period. After that, I would expect a $1 per hour raise or more. They both initially said this was reasonable, but that they couldn't guarantee anything. I then said they could find somebody else to take the job. $1 an hour was already nowhere near worth the headache. I sure as heck wasn't going to do it for free. The very next day, both of them separately came back to me and assured me the plant manager had agreed to my deal. Three months later, I was one of the top performers out of eight of us doing this job probably second or third in production, when I asked about my raise, I was told by both bosses that they would ask the next day. I was told this every day for a week. Then I scheduled a meeting with the plant manager. He informed me my numbers were not satisfactory and that to deserve a raise, I had to outperform everyone. I told him that wasn't the deal we'd agreed to and that at the end of the week, if I was not being paid to be an operator, I would not do the job. I would go back to the job I was titled as, or they could fire me. Three days later, I did just that. I walked in and helped set up part of the line I used to be responsible for, and left the rest to just sit there. An hour later, all heck broke loose. Boss A asked what I was doing, so I explained. He simply buried his face in his hands and walked off. Boss B tried to tell me that I was not going about this the right way, and began running the line himself. One hour later, the plant manager arrives and begins screaming at me. His first line after a group of curse words that made no sense was, I told you that you were not an operator, to which I spoke up and agreed. I also reminded him he had just said this in front of about five people. He probably spent another 15 minutes screaming and cursing at me while I just laughed. All I said was I'm not an operator and won't do that job anymore. Do what you need to. Fallout, they promoted the next guy below me to the operator spot and gave him a 25 cent raise. He had zero experience doing the job and had only survived before because I was training him and helping him. I became his blend line guy, which was basically the top person not in charge on the line. While I ran the line before, we made about 15,000 pounds a day in production with about 85% uptime. The next three months, we produced about 7,000 pounds a day with maybe 50% uptime. I can only estimate, but Boss B once told me my move may have cost them about $500,000 in production. The amount lost in machine failure and parts, etc., I can't even begin to guess at. Eventually, I quit, and ended up coming back after I heard the project manager had been fired. It was still terrible pay, but I got my raise this time immediately and helped them even open up new lines in other states for a while. Well, pretty plainly it goes to show that if somebody's doing great work, production's up, and you want to sustain that, you need to reward them and compensate them adequately. You can't just have this person come in and do a really good job and then just stiff them and hope that they just accept it. They learn the hard way. And our final story of the day is by Blue Falcon Punch, 
All cranes must have a safety inspection filled out at the start of every shift. Years ago, before it died, I worked at a steel mill. The economy was hitting everyone hard, so they started to cut back on overtime and shifts. I was the lowest seniority in the lab, so I was bumped out to ladle treatment. Everyone hated ladle treatment except the people working there. It was noisy, dirty, and busy. I loved it because it made the day go by fast, and there was always something happening, and I hate being bored. It makes me do stupid things. At a ladle treatment, there was a small remote crane that moved supplies around, and every inch was accounted for, so when you were moving things, it had to go over work areas. Everyone had to clear the way so supplies could go through. Usually only takes two to three minutes. Usually. I was the new guy at ladle treatment, but while low on the totem pole for the lab, I was probably the fourth highest compared to ladle treatment people. Everyone hated it, so I transferred as soon as possible. I didn't have a choice since I was just on loan instead of being laid off. The crane was broke as freak. It was missing a wheel. When you have a few tons hanging from a crane, it starts a pendulum effect with the load swinging. I spent a few years in a crane. I knew how to run them. The problem is that a few tons will pull a tiny little crane like this one, and when it pulled to the corner with no wheel, the crane would jerk to a halt and cause even more swing, and so on and so on, and the crane wouldn't move. We'd been dealing with it, and it was super dangerous swinging tons of aluminum coils over people's heads. I'd brought it up to the safety team, and they agreed, and together with management came up with the idea that it's okay to be broke as freak as long as no one's around. The wheel was ordered but it would take months to arrive. I wasn't filling out these little OSHA checklists because if you marked anything as dangerous, you were not allowed to run it by law. My first day shift, the foreman I didn't know and who never came up to ladle treatment had to get the paperwork since someone was on vacation and noticed I hadn't filled out my daily required checklist. He starts getting in my face and telling me this and that like he normally would for the new guy at ladle treatment, fresh hire. He wasn't informed about me, he just didn't know who I was. All cranes must have a safety inspection filled out at the start of every shift, and he stormed out with a smug look in his yellow butt teeth. Okay, Mr. Man, you asked for it. I filled out the checklist and red flagged items, do not use by law, and there was a comment section, okay to run per third shift foreman, and I signed it. Take that legality with you. I'd been around long enough to know if you signed something, it's on your butt. I come in next shift, and the crew going home is just a buzz, but won't come clean. Wait till the foreman gets here. Okay, I know it was going to do something. It turns out that the returning foreman just grabbed all the papers off the clipboard and dumped them on the general foreman's desk like every day. The GM saw what was on my checklist and knows it has to get turned into OSHA, and he tried his best to cover it up but he couldn't make it go away because the checklist had three copies. His slash OSHA's, the safety teams, and mine. He couldn't make all three go away. OSHA lost their crap when the safety team turned in their copy. The regular foreman came up about lunchtime and wanted to talk to me, but we're busy so I can't leave the station. And he has to do it in front of the four of us on crew. The wheel will be overnighted and repaired in two days. Don't put OK per foreman on the checklists. And was I a union lawyer? I said, well, no, I'm no lawyer, but I'm not stupid. If you force me to run this crane and force me to fill out the checklist, you get what you get. You and I both know this place can't run for four hours without that crane. 
I'll run this crane as safe as I possibly can, but if I have to inspect it, I'll fail it. So now what? He just walked away? And that was the last time I heard about my daily checklist. I filled them out every day after that, and if it was broke, I filled it out that way and let management deal with it. While it's definitely nice that OP was willing to compromise and not force the hands of these people, honestly filling it out's kind of the right thing to do. As painful as it is for the upper management, that kind of stuff just needs to get fixed. I feel like there's definitely some kind of legal grounds for protection if you report that stuff and they fire you over it. Like, I get it, but it should just all be transparent, fixed, and up to code. That's what OSHA's there for. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories.